Turn now to the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Genesis 1 this, this evening. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
Let's pray for God's blessing on his word now. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the glories of your word and to see the glories of your world. We pray that we would come humbly now to listen to your voice and to be changed by you through the work of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Our sermon this evening comes from Psalm 104. That's Psalm 104. I discovered at the dinner table uh, this afternoon that every Sunday school class this morning was about creation. Um, I chose, in some, in some part, I chose this particular psalm for this evening because I knew that in the, in the adult Sunday school class, we would be covering God's work of creation. Little did I know that that was also what the children were doing as well. So it seems very fitting, very, very fitting now to be looking at Psalm 104 together. Let's read the psalm together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. 
I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. When was the last time that you were able to sit outside and simply enjoy God's creation? I mean, no cell phone, no distractions, and no deadlines. Just you and God and what God has made. If you can't remember that time very well, it sounds like me. Um, Or even if you can, and even this is something that you regularly do, I'm going to give you some homework. Giving each person here some homework. Go outside, make the time, and spend concentrated time meditating on what God has made. That may sound like a kind of funny assignment coming from a pastor. I mean, surely what, what he means there, right, is, is to read more of the Bible or something like that. And do that. Do that too. But I'm very serious by what I'm saying. Go outside and meditate on God's work in the world. And we have many things going on in our lives. We live in a busy world. But those things distract us from some of the greatest things that we can be doing, like reading our word, but also looking at the book of nature where God reveals himself. Now, why am I giving you that homework? Well, I'm basing that homework on our passage tonight because Psalm 104 is an encouragement to worship God and to worship him because he created and cares for the world. And you and I can join in that worship as we see more of what God has done and continues to do. It leads us to our main idea that God calls us to worship him because he is the wise and powerful creator and provider of all things. And God calls us to worship him because he is the wise and powerful creator and provider of all things. We're going to walk through this psalm section by section as we see that playing out. The first thing we notice in this psalm is actually a call to worship. Psalm 104 is framed with worship. You can see the call to worship in verse 1, bless the Lord of my soul. And at the end, verses 33 to 35 say something very similar. This psalm is calling us to worship God. Now that frame is very important for us. It's a reminder that it is never enough to acknowledge God's presence and work in creation. It's not enough to do that. The psalmist definitely does that, And we as believers can do that as well as we look at God's world and we see that he's the one who made it. But if what we see does not lead us to praise and to worship, then we have not gone far enough. Praise is the proper response to God, not just observation. If you look back at Psalm 103, you'll see that there's a very similar structure to that psalm as well. But that psalm has a very different theme. That psalm is about God's covenant love. And we rightly praise God so many times for God's covenant love for us. That's why we're saved and we can even praise him in the first place. And yet Psalm 104, and maybe we could say God's creation love, reminds us that God is also to be praised and worshipped for his work 
in the world. That's really where the psalm then leads us, is to God's work, God's involvement in the world. Almost every verse of Psalm 104 shows God's direct involvement in the world. There's his creation and also his ongoing provision. God is actively involved in every aspect of his world. So we look at God's then work in the world. First, we see God using creation for his own purposes. We see that in verses 1 through 4. The way that God shows his glory to us is through what he has made. What he has made reflects his glory. We see that in Psalm 19, where the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But look more closely at these opening verses in Psalm 104. God is clothed with light. He builds on the heavens. He uses the clouds and the winds, and he sends his angels like winds and fire. These verses show just how closely God associates himself with what he has made. God voluntarily chooses to show his glory and to accomplish his purposes through the things he has made. Now, when I say that, they may, that may not sound very surprising to you because we're used to God working that way. That's how, when the Spirit has changed us, that's how we increasingly see the world. But it should really make us stop and praise God. God the Creator has entered into what he has made, and he then uses it. He is actively at work in it for his perfect purposes. So God is very much actively at work. He's very involved in the world, using it for his own purposes to show his glory, to continue his work. We also, though, see the psalmist reflect secondly on God's creation of the earth, verses 5 through 9. These verses here, both here and then further on, are a very poetic account of the days of creation. Here in this These opening verses in 5 through 9, the psalmist emphasizes the power of God in these very first days of creation. He praises God for the stability and order of the earth. God firmly established the earth so that it would not move, and he brought order. Notice the language in these verses of appointing a place for the land and of a boundary that he set for the sea. God brought order to the world by limiting the water and shaping the land. These verses are a reminder to us that the world as we know it, the seas and the dry land are planned and preserved by the active work of God. Think about this. When you go and sit at the beach, you set your launcher out there, you are relying on God's creative order, even though you might not realize it. The only reason that the waves do not come up the beach and wash you away is because God has put them in their place. It's not just true of the water that we see, but we see this order and this stability in everything that God has made. But we also see God's work thirdly in his provision for every living thing, his very active provision for every living thing. Most of the remaining verses in this psalm really center on this theme. 
In verses 10 through 13, for instance, the the psalmist highlights God's provision of water. He says there are the springs and the rivers, you see it in verse 10, and there's rain falling on the mountains in verse 13. As the psalmist describes this really simple foundational blessing of water, he describes a fullness of blessing, really an abundance of God's provision. Every beast drinks, none go thirsty, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of God's work. In verses 14 to 15, the psalmist reflects further on God's provision of food for animals and for men. Here, too, there is a sense of abundance because God provides necessities like food, but he also provides nice things as well. He gives us wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and yes, bread to give us strength. God did not create a world of bare necessities. No, he created things for us to enjoy. Think about wine. Yeah, you can drink wine to quench your thirst, but it also gladdens the heart of man. That means, not just with wine, but with many other things, that means it is not bad to enjoy good things in life. In fact, it's actually what we were created to do. Those good things are gifts from God, and they can be enjoyed to the praise of God who gave them. We looked at water, food, and then the psalmist looks at the home. Verses 16 to 18, the psalmist describes the homes that God has provided for his creatures. And then he moves on in verses 19 to 23 to describe the order that God has created for day and night. In both of these two sections, we see God's active involvement in space and time. See, where an animal lives is perfectly determined by God. Their habitat, their range, everything in there, their homes, everything is perfectly determined by God. And we see that same care, that same provision, that same order in the daily rhythm of sun and moon, light and dark. See those animals active at night, and then we see the description of man active during the day. All of those things are determined by God. None of it is by accident. It is all part of the perfect plan of God. You see all these things. See all the things that God has done. This is just scratching the surface. No wonder the psalmist then pauses in verse 24 to praise God. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. the, The sheer size and diversity and complexity of creation. That's something we actually probably understand much better than the psalmist did as we discover so much more about the natural world. But does our knowledge, does our knowledge lead us to a similar outburst of praise? I'm afraid it often doesn't, but it should. Because only a wise and powerful God could create and organize and preserve and cause to thrive everything that we see around us. It's just a reminder. You know, I have, I have such a hard time multitasking. Actually, I think all of us do, and we lie to ourselves that we're better than we are. God has no trouble multitasking in everything that he does in creation every moment of the world. No trouble 
whatsoever. So the psalmist reflects on the greatness and the power of God, the wisdom, the care that God has. He also briefly touches next on the sea. Notice he doesn't say too much here, but this actually helps us because it makes us appreciate the fact that the psalmist has so far in all these verses only described God's work in a tiny part of his creation. And in the sea, just like on land as well, we see God's control and perfect plan for all that he has made. But we also catch another glimpse of God's joy in his creation. Notice that little detail. God made the great Leviathan, and whatever animal that actually is, I'm not going to hazard a guess here, but God made that great Leviathan for this purpose to play in the sea. Just think about that. Playing does not seem important. It's certainly not critical for survival. And yet part of God's great design for the world was for this animal to do just that. That little detail shows us part of how God delights in his creation. Now we see more that God is very actively involved. In verses 27 to 30, the psalmist kind of steps back and reflects on how much all living things depend on God for their food and for their very lives. Uh, We probably don't appreciate how much every living thing does really depend on God. Kind of take life for granted, both our own life and the life of the things around us. But look again at how involved God is in giving good things to his creatures. It is God who provides at the right times and in the right ways. He gives the food in their due season. Just think about the fact that we have food on the table day in and day out. Where's that come from? Well, we would say, okay, well, it comes from the farms. There's a harvest, and we get that, and how does a harvest come? Well, you plant the seed, and there's water and rain, and there's good air, and the sun shines, and everything happens. And that's true. That's true, but it's only partly true because it's God who actually gives us that food. It is God who is opening his hand to provide for us. The psalmist is not being poetic here. He's not just giving us a nice image. No, he is describing what is really, truly happening. It's true that there are those other secondary causes. Yes, the sun must shine for us to have food, but even more true is the fact that God must be at work to provide for us. Every created thing also depends on God for life itself. Verse 29 describes death. Verse 30 describes life. Notice that God is equally involved in each. That might surprise us because death is a product of the fall. This comes from sin. And yet even sin and its effects like death are perfectly under the control of God. Notice in these verses about life and death, God's spirit receives a special emphasis here as the one who actually brings life. That reminds us of the creation account. What did we read earlier? Well, we saw the spirit hovering like a dove at creation, Genesis 1-2. We didn't read it, but in Genesis 2, we see the spirit of God active again, directly involved in the creation of man. Remember, God forms man out of the dust, and what does he do? He breathes the breath of life 
into man. That is the work of the Spirit bringing life. It's no surprise then as we look at creation, as we even look at this as the Spirit who gives life, even in the recreation or in the the growth and the birth of animals, things like that, it's no surprise then that in the New Testament we see that the Holy Spirit is also the one who brings life. But he brings more than just physical life. He brings spiritual life. So we look at these final verses now as we move forward to the end of the psalm. The the final verses are, are really a response to what God has done. I just want to f- highlight a few aspects of this conclusion. Particularly, there's, there's a call for God's joy and for God's glory, as well as a call for ourselves to have a response of praise. I want to just briefly focus on that first part because it, it may seem unexpected. Look at verse 31. Uh, really a call for God's glory and for God's joy. The glory of the Lord through what he has made lasts forever. I want you to think about that as you think about the creation that we have now. The glory that you see out there, the glory of what God has done and what he continues to do now, will last forever. In heaven, God will be glorified because of what he has made and cares for now. The psalmist, though, also calls on God to rejoice in his works now. That That is surprising because we know from the teaching of Scripture that all creation has been corrupted by sin, but even a fallen creation causes God joy. If that is true of this world, tainted by sin, how much more will a new creation, how much more will a new creation bring glory to God and bring joy to him as well? You and I are actually part of that new creation. God promises a new creation, but he's bringing it now. He is bringing it through the Spirit. I mentioned the Spirit in the New Testament. Think about how the Spirit brings the new creation to us. The Spirit has given us new life in Christ, and we are just the beginning, the first fruits of what God is doing as he remakes and restores all of creation, as he erases sin and its effects, and makes a new heavens and new earth. You know, that kind of work is actually reflected here in this psalm, though it's in a surprising way, maybe. Notice the prayer in verse 35. The psalmist ends, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Does that prayer seem out of place in a psalm about the created world? Does it seem out of place? It can, but it shouldn't. Because the psalmist is recognizing the problem with creation. And he's recognizing the solution. Sin is the problem. Sin has affected God's good creation. And sinners are opposing their good creator. They are using his good creation for their own ends. God's creation will only now be perfect. It will only be truly, fully good and pleasing to God when God deals with sin. And this happens in Jesus Christ. We see this so clearly in the gospel. Jesus comes to deal with sin. He comes in his first coming to save and remake sinners, but he's not done. His work is not done because he will come again. 
And when he comes, he will come back to judge sinners and to remove sin forever. And even more than this, though, part of the wonderful good news is that God is bringing about a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Look at Revelation 21 and 22. That is the end of the story. You know, I said earlier that believers, you and I, we are already part of this new creation. That means that you and I, we don't fit in here now. We don't fit in here anymore. We have one foot in this new world, this new creation in heaven, and we have that other foot still here. But because we have that foot in the new creation, because we experience the new creation in our lives, look forward to a coming day when we, with renewed bodies and souls, will live perfectly with God in his new creation. Do you see how much joy God has in his creation now? And if he delights so much in a world that is so fallen and so broken and so twisted, and delights even though every one of his works bears the scars of sin, how much more Will God delight in you and me and in every part of his new, perfect, sin-free creation forever? Psalm 104, it's a psalm for us now to teach us how to praise God for his creation. So go outside, look at God's world, use this psalm and praise him. I would challenge you, make that a habit. Make that a habit of praising God. This may not seem it, but this is practical Christianity, to be praising God for the things that he has made in his world. But also, as we look at God's creation, as you use Psalm 104, look forward. Look forward to the new songs that we will sing together as we praise God for his salvation and his new creation when we are with him in heaven. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we see your joy, we see your plan, we see your power in creation, and we pray that you would give us that kind of vision to see how active you are in this world, even in a world that is so affected by sin. You have not given up. Your plan is still going forward. You are being glorified in the things you have made and you are especially glorified in the people you have made and those you have saved. Lord, we pray that we would be your heralds, your servants now to worship you, to praise you, and to show others what you have done. And Lord, we do pray that you would give us an eternal perspective as we look at the things you have made. Help us to look forward to new heavens and new earth. Help us to look forward to being able to stand in your presence and praise you for the wonderful things that you have done. We pray that we would not be satisfied with the world now, but with a holy dissatisfaction, look ahead and live already with one foot in that new creation. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.